0: What's up Midas Mighty and what's up Popokians? You heard that right, Popokians. It is a fad that is taking over the United States of America. People are naming their dogs and their cats after the man, the myth, the legend, the expert vacationer himself, Michael Popak, who joins me on Midas Touch Legal AF as my esteemed co-host every Sunday. Because if it's Sunday, it is Legal AF. Michael Popak, what great adventures are you doing this weekend?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for that intro. We, uh, we I am, I am the proud, <laughs> apparently. Puppy daddy of a new puppy that one of our Midas Mighty actually named Popak, uh, which I found remarkable. Uh, I think technically, though, not to, you know, I don't like correcting you, but I think it would be Popakian because my last name is Popak. But uh, listen, I'm thrilled either way. In terms of the weekend, I got bent up a little bit early this morning because I've got a schlep, that's a legal term, to uh, the, the, the farther hinterland of New Jersey with a truck to go pick pick up supply for a uh, law firm office building that we're remodeling. And uh, that's what Popak also does on this weekend.
0: If it's Sunday, it is Popakian antiquing day. <laughs> Popak doing a ton of incredible adventures and Popak will become, in my opinion, basically the Genghis Khan of the pet world. And what I mean by that is I think if you trace the lineage of Genghis Khan, his descendants have about 1 billion uh, Genghis Khan descendants. I think that's the same for Charlemagne. I think actually all these numbers are fairly made up now that I'm saying them out loud. But I've been told these things from various sources that I don't now put a great deal of accuracy. But Popak will have his name live on in perpetuity in the names of tens and millions and billions of pets. Of for dogs.
1: The history of, well, you uh, know, it can't be cats. Uh, no, it can't be cats. I'm trying to get hashtag lizards. Popak- I'm trying to get hashtag Popak is a puppy trending, but that's that's just my own personal vanity
0: that 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 is. But Popak, you can name your lizards after Popak. You can name your cats. You can name your dogs. You can name your cows, cattle, goats. You name it. Michael Popak will lend his name to your pets. Let's get into it. Wait, I want to ask you
1: something. Before we get into the hardcore, we're never going to leave this. Do you think we could find a way for the Apple podcast or the other ranking algorithms to factor in the amount of pets that are named after one of us? That would be really good.
0: You see, the thing about Popak is, and this is when I've met Popak many years back. His competitive spirit is unrivaled. You want Popak to be on your legal team because the man doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop working and he always wants to find a way to be number one because legal AF podcast was number two, was number two in the entire country on the podcast charts And Popak now wants to know if we could factor in dog naming to get us to number one. I like that thinking. I like the creativity. I don't think the folks at Apple will weigh the number of Popakian pets into their algorithm, but it is worth trying. We've we've created an innovative show. So I think we could create innovative algorithmic uh, naming schemes. So we'll we'll put a little asterisk there and we will get back to it. But our fans, our supporters, our legal AF friends come to us not to talk about dogs and cats, but to talk about the law. And we need to start talking about what is going on right now in the prosecutions in Trump, Kushner, corrupt, authoritarian, swirling the drain uh, world. And let's start off with this story from this week, Popak. You teased it on the Midas Touch Legal AF Twitter account. Jared Kushner's friend, Ken Kerson, a certified maniac psychopath, when you see what this man was doing all of these years, who was pardoned by Donald Trump for cyber stalking his ex-wife and multiple people. This man was like a serial stalker who installed spyware and doctors and friends and basically anybody who this psychopath thought rubbed him the wrong way, he cyber stalked and spied on, including his wife. And then he would send like his his ex-wife's friends, like crazy stalker messages that like he knows what they've talked about. This was an individual who I think the Trump administration tried to nominate for like the endowment of the arts or something like that. And then on a background check, they realized that he was a psychopath. Um, he was charged with these federal crimes. I'm seeing a little Pop doggy wagging his tail in the background right now as I'm talking. That's, that's, um, but in anyway, th- this. This individual, Ken Kirschner, was charged um, by federal prosecutors. They were in negotiations for a plea agreement for this man being a psychopathic stalker. And then Trump pardoned him. Um, Ken 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 Kirsten was a friend of Kushner. They worked at The Observer together, which Kushner's daddy bought for Kushner. And that's the connection between Kushner and Ken and Cy Vance. Charged uh, Ken Kirsten recently this past week, um, following Trump's pardon in the last weaning days of the Trump administration, where Trump pardoned, he made all those kind of corrupt uh, pardons, and van sending the message, "Fuck you, Donald Trump." Basically, you know, you think you can get away with pardoning people at the federal level, but guess what? You do not have jurisdiction at the state level. And we are going to hold people accountable in our state, even if you, Donald Trump, try to play cronyism and corruption with your pardons. Popak, Popakian, what's going on here?
1: I'm ready. Well, listen, this is a good example that we've taught our listeners about the difference between the federal and the state court system, uh, because for the very same acts of cyber stalking, eavesdropping and um, computer trespassing, which are all on the books in New York, they were also federal crimes. And the federal prosecutors had brought charges against him. The same gentleman who used to be the editor or the publisher of the New York Observer, a little red uh, business political and gossip rag here in New York uh, for what he had done to his wife and other people. He actually loaded uh, keystroke software, cyber stalking software on his wife's computer and then used it to harass her and look at her Gmail and look at her Facebook accounts and all of that. So he got pardoned. And we talked about the pardon process, the constitutional uh, unfettered right of a president to pardon somebody, but only for federal crimes. And so right after the pardon happened, Cy Vance and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office flew into action Mm -hmm. and decided to look at whether there were state law crimes committed in New York even if they're the same exact conduct as what was pardoned, there's no, there's no double jeopardy. I know a lot of our followers and listeners are probably thinking, well, maybe can you be prosecuted for the exact same thing? You can't in the same system. So in the if he's pardoned on the, on the federal side, he couldn't be prosecuted again federally but he can be prosecuted, a person can be prosecuted on the state court side or the state system side for the exact same conduct. And so literally Sy office took a look at the part and said, no, this is inappropriate. If there's state law claims here, we're going after this guy. And they're doing the same thing. They're actually looking at Steve Bannon, and, and I, here's a prediction, a Popakian prediction, that within the next several months, we may see a Steve Bannon, also pardoned by this president, indictment or a charging in New York by Cy Vance's office for the Build the Wall Foundation and the million dollars that was absconded with by Bannon and the rest. So, So we've answered the question, can somebody be charged for the same crime even after being pardoned? Yes, in the separate state court system. And that's the message, as you just mentioned, that Cy Vance is sending to all the cronies of Trump. You you got a midnight pardon by the president, but woe be you if you committed state law crimes because we're coming after you.
0: Popakian prediction number one on this episode of Legal AF. Steve Bannon will be prosecuted by Cy Vance out of the Manhattan D's at DA's office or Cy Vance's predecessor, but the or, prediction, or successor, right? successor. Success, oh, sorry, successor. Um, you heard it there first from okay. Michael Popak, Popak. I need a prediction. Number two, Mike Lindell is he's a psychopath, but his conduct gets one flagrantly illegal and unlawful every single day. It's as if he's out there screaming, arrest me, arrest me. Come on, prosecutors. Look at all the crimes I'm committed. He reminds, you,
1: he, he reminds us, just interrupt for a second. Doesn't he remind you of the fact that he's a self-professed former crack addict?
0: That's exactly what I I wasn't sure where you were going to go that it reminds you that he probably is currently. He's acting consistent with a self-professed the cracked addict right now, but this is the man. This is the man that the GQP looks up to. This, you know, because he's like them, Popak. Like they all are disturbed. They're
1: all on crack. Sick,
0: indiv- they all have some version of crack in their system you know, and that's going to releasing the crack in. They have some version of crack that's permeating their veins. Now, that could be actual crack. It could be just their disturbed psychopathic nature, but it, it's in their veins. They're all projecting. But what's the new thing? Michael Lindell has now admitted to hiding GOP officials facing FBI probe in a safe house. I mean, I read some of these headlines right now and I have to like read them four times to fully understand. This comes from Salon, but it's been reported in no, ton no, of places out.
1: This this one's crazy. This like again, if you wrote this as a movie treatment or a script, no one in your town, no one in Los Angeles would buy this because it's so ludicrous. Um so in in the My Pillow guy he decides after his cybersecurity symposium that he's going to take into custody and hide in his in some safe house the actual county clerk for Mesa County in Colorado who the FBI wants to talk to about the release by her of passwords to election equipment that QAnon got a hold of so the, the Secretary of State of Colorado has already accused this, this clerk of having released those passwords. So she's under a state investigation, and the FBI is now looking into it. So you know, what do you do when you, when you want to obstruct justice uh, uh, or you want to you know, aid in a bet? You take the prime witness for the release of the QAnon passwords, and you hide her somewhere outside the state. So I think that was an interesting article that you and I our eyebrows went up, but but you wait. Um, They're gonna find that clerk. They're going to extradite that clerk back to Colorado. And I think they might bring my pillow guy along with her.
0: Prediction number two, you heard it here first. You also heard first the difference between predecessor and successor. You are learning a ton on this Midas touch legal AF. Speaking of Trump's disgusting toilet bowl orbit, Popak, what's the latest with Weiselberg? I saw that there was about three million documents that the government turned over in that prosecution, the Manhattan DA's office. Um, so uh, maybe talk through why they are producing those records, you know, the requirement to produce records in these cases, the discovery process generally. Um, and I also understand that uh, the DA's office and the Trump organization are currently in further talks for the Trump organization to, I guess, voluntarily turn over documents before further act. What's going yeah, on there? Yeah, I'm going to
1: bring lead on this one. All, all roads lead back to Alan Weisselberg, the Uh, soon to be former or former CFO of the Trump Organization. And just to bring everybody up to speed, because we have talked about this on prior episodes, uh, Weisselberg has been indicted. His son has been indicted. His son ran the Trump Organization ice skating rink in Central Park, but also got the benefit of cars and free tuition. Again, what what the government found in their subpoena and search warrant of the Trump Organization is that the Trump Organization was actually keeping two sets of books. They had an actual spreadsheet, talk about, they should have just typed exhibit A on the bottom because these are gonna be used in the first minute of opening, opening argument, opening statement at the trial of the Trump Organization. They kept spreadsheets that showed how much they paid out in Weisselberg, in tuition, in, in uh, Mercedes Benz for he and his wife, the apartment, the one for his son. And, and they didn't disclose it as income. They just kept it as a running expense. that the comp- So the company took it as an expense and had it on a spreadsheet, but they didn't declare it as income. That is called income tax evasion for our followers and listeners. And they have 15 years of that. Now, where did they get all of this information? There was a whistleblower or there was a cooperating witness. And that was the ex-daughter-in-law of Alan Weisselberg and his son who, who had in her garage, not making this up, thousands and thousands of pages of documents. I assume, and just so our listeners know, the prosecution, the government has an obligation at the inception of a prosecution to turn over to the other side all information, including what we call exculpatory information, information that would get somebody off the hook or could be used in their defense at the start of the prosecution. And and Ben, I'll let you comment, too, because there's always a tug of war between the prosecutor's office and the defense office about the turnover of this material and what's been held back by the government. Have you been involved with situations where you've had a sort of tussle with the prosecutors over the turnover of materials?
0: You know there's always these discussions because at the end of the day the prosecutors have the power of the pen where they could ultimately issue subpoenas um the harder you make the government work oftentimes the harder position they're going to take on your client in plea negotiations and in sentencing and so if you're a smart and savvy lawyer you want to be uh, tread the line between cooperative and you got to obviously protect your client's interests. And you have to have those come to truth moments with your client to fully assess their exposure, their risks. You talk to your client about Hey, look, I could be a bulldog if you want me to be a bulldog here. But let's be clear what the next chess moves are. It's very easy for a lawyer to play, you know, uh, the lawyers that you see on TV and beat their chest and be the parody of that lawyer. But in reality and in practice, um, where your client could be facing sentencing guidelines that could put them in prison from on the low end a few years to on the high end life you have to treat these conversations with caution so that's why people would be like why would you even be cooperating with the government if you're representing a defendant in the first place because there is a practical reality of the justice system is a human system yeah. and you have to navigate those things so Pope, that's he, how I would respond
1: I think I think you just provided our listeners with a very good intel color as, as an expert in the field of criminal law that you are also, about what really happens that, that you don't see in Law & Order episodes or on television. Um, it, it is this nuanced uh, ballet, this play that goes between you and the prosecutor's office. Um, you wanna defend your client, but you don't wanna antagonize the government. And, and that's all the Trump Organization and their lawyers have done from day one, calling the indictment a piece of you know what, to not cooperating with them. And all that does is engender hard feelings by the prosecutor and and makes them, as you said, dig in. And so so here, um, just as an example of the Trump Organization lawyers not really playing well in the sandbox with the prosecutors, Prosecutors have now had to go to court, and this is what the Wall Street Journal just reported earlier this week. They have had to go to court in a a secret hearing or at least a closed hearing in front of Judge Mershon here in the New York State Supreme Court, which is the New York trial level court, notwithstanding its name, to tussle over these subpoenaed records that they don't wanna turn over these additional financial records. The other noose that's sort of tightening uh, around the Trump Organization is a guy that I'll mention here for the first time, but we'll follow closely. And he's got a great name. It's like right out of old Hollywood. Matt Calamari. I'm not making this up. This is really people in the inner circle of the Trump organization. Matt Calamari has been the 40-year chief operating officer and head of security and surveillance with his son. It's a family affair, everybody. Everybody's got a son in the business. And so Calamari's got a son that's in the Trump organization. Weisselberg's got a son the Trump Organization and Calamari, the federal, the uh, Manhattan District Attorney prosecutors, they figure he's got to know something about Weisselberg. Did he get any income tax treatment that was inappropriate? And what else does he know about where the bodies are buried? So the next target right now, I'm sure he's just a cooperating witness. Maybe he has a lawyer. At least that's been disclosed in the media, but he could ultimately be a target and I think if they take down the chief operating officer, the head of surveillance, the, the CFO and all their sons, what are they trying to do? They're trying to squeeze, the prosecutors are trying to squeeze to get them to flip, to testify in favor of um, you know, their case against Trump. And a shout out to fellow podcast and Midas Touch uh, host, uh, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen was the first one to really surface Matt Calamari's name in his testimony uh, to the government.
0: That would be the Maya Culpa podcast. Popak, do you think it goes down like this? Calamari, <laughs> I, got a fa- I got a favor I want to ask you, Calamari. I need you to go and tell Weiselberg to get Bannon, to tell Lindell to hide that witness in Mesa, to find that bamboo from China. To prove, I'm not sure what it's a kind of a Godfather but, Trump. By the way, this there, this Talamari.
1: is This is either <laughs> the, first of all the fact that I'm able to bring out of you this hidden talent of impersonations is amazing. I never I never knew this about you all the years I've known you. This is also the the uh, the outline for the worst Godfather sequel ever.
0: Calamari, I got a favor. I got a favor. Go get Weiselberg and tell his son-in-law to go get Bannon and tell Bannon to go tell that Lindale, that pillow guy, to hide that witness to get me that bamboo. We need, we need the bamboo. I mean, you Cohen? Bo- <laughs> Are you doing Michael Cohen? It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid of everything. So there we go, folks. We talked about Curson, the hacking creep. We talked about Lindell, the crackhead. We talked about Trump organization swirling the drain. Can I get another Papakian prediction? Donald Trump, will he be indicted under Cy Vance or his successor and not his predecessor?
1: I think it's going to roll. All right, here's my prediction. I'm going to stick with the prediction I made several episodes ago. Paul everybody- Park,
0: I got a very important favor. I want you just to say yes. I just want you to say yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, but no, no, you it can't. Wait, wait. I can't answer a yes when you ask me a two part question. It's going to be yes, but I think it's going to be Alvin Bragg, the successor to Cy Vance in sometime in the fall or early winter.
0: I would love Alvin Bragg to be on this podcast. I just, If we were the ones, if we had Alvin Bragg on this podcast and it's somehow our questioning and my godfather impressions in any way potentially negatively impacted the ability of Donald Trump to get uh, indicted, I would literally probably become the most saddest person (laughs) ever, which is why I don't want to invite, you know, I just think those godfather impressions, once you go down that route, you could imagine it becoming a very effective exhibit.
1: We also Um, apologize to all of our Italian-American listeners by Ben's uh, uh, impersonation.
0: (laughs) Thank you for that, Popak. But the point was not that the point was that the Godfather connection is very similar to how Trump runs it mafia style. Um, and I think when you see it all being familial, we've called Trump before probably the biggest mobster and, and mafioso in history. Um, that's how he runs his criminal enterprise. Oh right, folks, going from all of that stuff, we'll just call it stuff, to let's talk about mask law, huh? Exciting, exciting developments in the law of masks right there for you, Popok. Never thought that when we talk about a public health crisis and the need for mask mandates, if implemented by businesses, private businesses, school boards, using the collective wisdom that they have never thought in a million years, that that would become a politicized issue, that it would be Democrats are for the CDC. They're for following health guidance. And the other political party, the GQP, is for COVID, is for sickness, is pro not showering, is per, right? They're pro having dirty nails. They're pro not brushing their teeth that these are the issues that are significant on the GQP list. But you go into these states where you have GQP governors, whether it's Arizona, Texas, your state of Florida, they get more vile and more disgusting in their already filthy and disgusting tactics I mean, each day when you talk about what's going on in in Arizona, for example, right, with Governor Ducey, he wants to divert the federal covid aid relief that he received from the federal government to help people for covid and basically said, if you are implementing mask mandates within school districts, as within other public entities, You've now disqualified yourself from getting the federal covid aid grants that the government gave us to help alleviate the problems with the pandemic. As I say that, it sounds so fucking crazy, Popak, but that's what they're doing there There are obviously legal challenges going on in Arizona, but maybe just talk through that, Popak, of using COVID grant money as a means of extorting school districts not to implement mask mandates under the recommendations of health officials. (laughs)
1: Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's going to survive a challenge. And I think the Biden administration, which we'll talk about at the sort of bottom of the segment, has a way to combat that. But let me give two statistics or two things that I've read this week that I thought were interesting and bears on the question that, uh, that you and I should talk about a bit. There's two studies that are out, one of them by uh, looking at the Israeli results of the vaccine rates, because they were the first one to get close to 90 percent vaccination rates and a study out of London that says that with the Delta variant, vaccinated people carry as much of the coronavirus in their system as unvaccinated people. And the two takeaways from those studies are that one, vaccines decline in their ability to protect you over time. That's the Israeli study because they did it early and now they're seeing the fourth wave because the initial vaccine has sort of started to wear off. That has led the Biden administration to push for boosters and booster shots, which are going to start next month. And and the recommendation that's coming out of within eight months or eight months after your last inoculation or vaccination, you'll need to get a booster shot. That's out of the Israeli study. The scary part was the second study out of London, which is people like you and I that are fully vaccinated and our followers we carry, we can carry as much of the Delta variant as anybody else who's unvaccinated. What does that mean? That means all of the things that we need to do to try to control, and we're only gonna be able to control the coronavirus. I don't wanna call it a Popakian prediction because we're talking about deadly stuff here. I just don't see a way to remove the coronavirus from our system, our national system, for years, I think it's going to be several years. So we're going to have to just control it and maintain it until it gets, it just sort of variants itself out of existence, mutates itself out of existence. And so we have to do all those things that are necessary for a period of time. I don't want to mislead our followers and listeners. And public policy people shouldn't either. It's not like wear a mask, get vaccinated, the thing disappears in three months. Not happening. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Nobody talks about washing their hands anymore. I don't know why. Maybe it's because you tell me the GQP is dirty as as a party. Wash your hands properly and regularly. Wear a mask, get vaccinated, get boosted. Do everything that you can do to help bring this pandemic to an end. That is not a democratic position. That is not a Republican position. That is a sentient thinking human being position and so these governors who for political gain and for re-election and to try to target and use it as a proxy fight against the Biden administration and the Democrats who are willing to risk their children's health and apparently their private school children's health. It seems like they could care less against the public school kids, which is where I went to school. And I think you went to school. Yep. They, they don't, they care less about them. It's the private school parents. And we're going to talk about these four states and what's going on. But at the top of this, the segment, you said to me, can a, can a governor withhold federal funds that every school should be allowed to participate in to the tune in, um, Arizona, for instance, of $1,800 a student would be the benefit that a school district would get from COVID relief, federal COVID relief funds. I don't think Ducey's executive order to try to um, kowtow and beat up school districts to force them to make mask wearing a choice and not a mandate is going to withstand either the Biden administration coming after them or ultimately federal court rulings. Now, again, all roads lead back to where Midas mighty to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's Michael current, Right. It's called roads lead back to Popuck.
0: All roads back to Popuck.
1: Men, the U.S. Supreme Court. then <laughs> the Supreme and know, Court. And we know who's sitting on the Supreme Court. So all of these cases we're going to talk about, we're going to talk, we're going to touch on Texas, we're going to touch on Arizona, we're going to touch on Kentucky, we're going to touch on Florida. The common denominator here except for Kentucky, which has a Democratic governor, is that all the Republican governors are using it as a way to get elected or get voted on the next time around or to beat us, beat the Democrats in the midterm election at the expense, sacrificing the health, welfare, and mortality of their electorate. And that's what's going on. But none of those cases have made their way yet to the U.S. Supreme Court, although it's coming and it's coming on a really rapid track. You want to talk about each one first?
0: Yeah, let's first let me reflect on one thing. Governor Ducey, the walking deuce, the walking deuce,
1: the walking number two,
0: the walking number two himself, dropping a deuce. (laughs) I have a lot of other ones, but I'll just I'll leave it there. I'll give you just a quick Governor Ducey Ben Micellis story. So when I was doing the Colin Kaepernick case and remember Um, when the uh, Nike campaign was announced that Colin was going to be the face of Nike going forward, Governor Ducey went out and basically said that he was going to ban Nike factories from his state because he's a performative piece of shit, Governor Ducey. This is what he does. So he was one of the first governors to go, I will ban Nike. We need to burn the Nike socks. And then I think the next day, because it was right around the holidays. I forget which which holiday, but he was photographed at a public event wearing Nike socks and Nike shoes the next day. And it goes to all of those things you said, Popak, Popakian, right? Is that these are the people who are out there railing against mask mandates at schools, but send their children to private schools where they have mask mandates. They don't care if your children die. These are people themselves who are vaccinated, who who have their families vaccinated, who are out there spreading anti-vax messages. These are the most vile, low denominator, disgusting people in the world. and
1: And have access to platinum level healthcare and eat the Trump cocktail of drugs to keep them alive should they still contract a deadly form of the virus.
0: So that's Arizona. I want to go through some of these other states, but yep. these mass conversations just they're so bothersome that I want to move through them swiftly because I think they frustrate our listeners as much Do, as it frustrates me at frustrating these people are.
1: You want to revive your your faith in humanity and do Kentucky next? Because that'll. Uh... No,
0: it won't revive oh, the faith okay. in humanity with Kentucky. But yes, let's talk about let's talk about Kentucky there, where you have a Democratic governor who instituted mask mandates. So aha, let's revive the faith in humanity because we have a Democratic governor. But lo and behold, the Republican legislator voted um, to strip the executive of a lot of his public health powers to begin with. And so his ability to enforce mask mandates um, is he's fighting for the right to do that and the validity of his executive orders. There were prior rulings by um, the Kentucky courts that, based on his executive powers during a pandemic, There were certain things that the legislature could not curtail. But even here, there was a federal district judge who was appointed by, you know, who was appointed here by Judge Carter, who said, well, there are some areas, though, that have not been overturned. There are some areas where the legislature curtailed your authority as an executive. And you don't have the power to overrule the Republican legislature when they're saying that you you know that these mask mandates are not something you could implement by an executive order so on the one hand, popak yes it does revive my view in humanity that a democratic governor is implementing health policies but the republican legislature they've gone out of their way to harm the people
1: yeah this one's fascinating. Other than, and also you you downgraded President Carter to a judge. You called him Judge Carter. But it did, he, there's a
0: judge. Well, there's a <laughs> Judge Carter out in California in Orange County.
1: Right um, on your mind. I,
0: look, Popak, At the end of the day, I'm, I blame you, and let me tell you why.
1: You're up because
0: early. we are, let me explain to you why. Because <laughs> we are recording this podcast super early, so yeah. Popac can go do his antiquing, antiquing today, and he's going antiquing the whole day. He's doing two days, a double header of antiquing. So I, I jumble predecessor, successor, Judge Carter, President <laughs> Carter. Your fault, Popac.
1: All right, on. I'll take it. I'm going to take it. So this <laughs> one, this whole Kentucky thing is fascinating, because you've got the let's let's. Let's uh, identify the parties here, the cast of characters. You got Judge Bertelsman, who's an 85-year-old senior status judge appointed in the 1970s by Jimmy Carter, so a Democrat, a Democratic appointee. The plaintiff challenging the mask mandate, the universal mask mandate of, of Governor Brashear, which would apply to public schools and private schools equally, is the Diocese of, of Covington in Northern Kentucky, the Catholic diocese. Hold that thought, put a pin in that, our followers. Who is the leading Catholic right now and worked and worked on faculty at the University of Notre Dame on the U.S. Supreme Court? Amy Coney Barrett, so get ready, because that case is gonna come up to her off of the Diocese of the Covington in, Northern, in, in North Kentucky. They challenge it because they want parents to have the right to decide whether they want, I guess, their children to die from COVID. So the right not to wear a mask if they so choose. The judge relying on, as as you Ben pointed out, relying on the fact that the Republican controlled legislature stripped the governor of powers over COVID policy, said to said in his ruling, my, sort of my hands are tied. The, the, the legislature has told you, you can't do this. And if the people don't like it, they're going to have to vote out their legislature or or recall them or whatever it is these days and put in some new people they like to set new policy. But I can't do this. The interesting part of this, though, the twist of this private and public school dichotomy that you and I have talked about as a theme in this this podcast is that that ruling does not apply to the state school board, which has ruled that in public schools, kids have to wear masks. So kids in public schools in Kentucky are going to have to continue to wear a mask, thank God. But the private school kids have now won the right, at least as far as this federal judge is concerned, not to wear a mask. Now, the judge is still, here's Inside Baseball, the judge is still considering on briefing by both sides whether this ruling only applies to the counties that are like involved or it applies to all the counties in Kentucky. But either way, this is going to be fast tracked with all these other mass cases to the U.S. Supreme Court in the next probably 90 days, I would think.
0: Talking about other mass cases, let's go into Texas, where we've got Governor Greg Abbott, who essentially infected himself with covid by going into this mass Republican GQP gathering these events are the weirdest events in the world (laughs) because you literally have these mouth breather gqps like it's an orgy of filth it's it's a covet orgy that they hold these rallies and 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 these are all people with the highest risk factors possible in terms of their age obesity you know all of them they go in a room together And they just breathe on each other's faces. You couldn't make this scene in South Park like we're American patriots. Yeah. I apologize to all the listeners who I've just uh mimicked blowing on a face, but like that's <laughs> what they do it. These <laughs> events are gro- These events didn't happen pre-COVID. You wouldn't want to be so close to these people.
1: No, you you know what? You know what? Uh back to Governor Brashier for Kentucky. He had, he had a great quote yesterday in the media. He said, people that are that are gonna send their children to an unventilated or poorly ventilated classroom, which is just like the places where these cutie these uh, GQP places that are, are hosting these events you're talking about. Sending your children there is like a chicken pox party, which I guess parents send their kids to, except instead of chicken pox, it's the third cause of death, the third leading cause of death in America, which is COVID. Would you really send your child to chickenpox if if it was the third leading cause of death in America? You would not the
0: GQP, the opposite of the QD pie, Popak, as Popak likes to occasionally uh, <laughs> call him. But let's talk about, um, you know, what Governor Abbott is doing in Texas. We want to talk about insider baseball. You know, there was an appeal that Governor Abbott made to go from basically the superior court level directly to the Supreme Court to try to challenge the fact that school districts are coming out with workarounds to the uh, bans on mask mandates that Governor Abbott implemented. Schools are basically utilizing their dress code, um, just not following the court's orders um, or coming up with creative workarounds to the mandate and to prior court orders which allowed for the ban on the mask mandates by Governor Abbott to hold and Governor Abbott said my top priority for the state of Texas is we need to fast track litigation to go to the Supreme Court so we can make sure that COVID spreads in our schools. It's basically what Governor Abbott said. And the Supreme Court's like, you can't come to us right away. And so the headline was local mask mandates allowed for now after Texas Supreme Court rejects Governor Abbott's request to intervene. It's a little more nuanced than that. But I think the kind of bigger and broader headline, though, is that the Texas Education Authority, though, has basically said, you know what, it's so costly, these litigations and. You know, there's there are generally workarounds. This mask, the ban on mask mandates is not well thought out there. You'd have to keep passing laws and it would be like whack-a-mole. And it's obvious that the school districts in Texas who need to protect the children want mask mandates. And so they've basically said, look, we're going to stop enforcing.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, the the, the ban on masks. Uh, this was another example, Ben, of a temporary hooray moment when you read the procedure of what happened. And I think some of the reporters got the headline not quite right in getting the nuance. Yes, the Texas Supreme Court said um, we're not going to um, enforce the ban at this moment. But really, because procedurally, he just went Paxton, which is the attorney general of Texas, and uh, the governor Abbott just went to the wrong court they pointed them in the direction of the uh, lower lower appellate court down the street and told them go take it there first then it'll come up to us as a proper Uh, appeal. We don't see a reason to take it as a direct appeal to the Texas Supreme Court, which they could have done, actually, procedurally. They could have found a compelling reason to have it be a direct appeal. But they said, no, you're going to go. You're going to be like all the other appeals. Get in line. Go to your go to your what we call the second level appellate court or I'm sorry, the first level appellate court, which is your appellate court for your jurisdiction or your district. And then come up to the Texas Supreme Court. And as you said, the the um, the Texas Education Agency, which is the board, the big board overall of Texas just threw up their hands and said, why don't we just wait and see what happens with all these lawsuits? And in the meantime, we're not going to enforce the ban on masks. So hooray for like the first semester or the first quarter, but eventually it's going to go to the Texas Supreme Court. We've seen how they've ruled on things like, you know, voting rights. I doubt they're going to suddenly not side with Abbott on this issue. And then we're going to be up probably at the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Oh, our country would be I don't even know if we would have a country Popak if Trump stole the election like he was trying to do. You know, if, if 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 God forbid he had won that thing, this these the way these GQP governors are acting at a federal level. There would not be vaccines. Um, America would be in the worst shape imaginable. That's all I keep thinking as we talk about it. Um, let's let's turn our attention to your state, Popac, um, Florida. Um, DeSantis is going all in on finding school districts who are not implementing the ban on mask mandates. School districts that still require the mask mandates. He's basically going to find them the equivalent of the salary of the school district board members in one-twelfth chunks. So they'll get fined you know, each month for 12 months, the equivalent of those salaries. So just to be clear in the most basic sense, defunding uh, the schools, public schools, um, at a significantly high level because they want to vote collectively, these, these school districts, are meeting, they're having a board, talk through issues and are deciding a mask mandate is in the interest of the children. And DeSantis says, if you do that, I'm stripping you of your salary. Um, pretty, just pre- pre- pretty heinous stuff there. Anything else we should comment about there, Popak? Yeah, about it, what yeah, DeSantis it, is doing? Yes,
1: yeah, so you got two things. You got on one side, DeSantis trying to use every power he thinks is, is at his disposal through the power of the purse and purse strings to force his ban on mask, masking in schools down the throats of these school districts. And so he's trying to hold back funds, but you're, just for our listeners, public schools are ultimately also regulated by the federal government and the Department of Education. And while a governor has certain powers over public schools through who who he appoints to the statewide boards of education, local boards of education are usually done by local election. And so you have regular people running for these positions. So in order to control the ones, there's five or six major boards of education in Florida, including Palm Beach County and Broward County for Fort Lauderdale, which has said, "We're, we're mandating masks. We don't care what the governor says. Ultimately, Biden with the Department of Education is going to be able to do to uh, DeSantis what DeSantis is trying to do to the superintendents and the boards of these of, uh, places in Florida. He's going to try to say to him, really, you got two things that I control. This is Biden talking. You've got accreditation, which is licensing related to whether you can operate a public school under the Department of Education. And I've got funding, too. You know, this is the president talking to the governor. I fund public education in large amounts. And I can withhold that from you you and from your schools if you don't allow, you know, there's certain ways he can nail DeSantis. The other way is he can just take extra federal money and give it to replace the salaries that are being taken away by DeSantis. So there's going to be this whole cat and mouse game between Biden and DeSantis over a very deadly issue of, of masking. In the meantime, there's a lawsuit that we haven't talked about yet, 27 families in Florida have filed a lawsuit in Tallahassee, which is the seat of government for Florida, to the north of the state in Leon County, which is where Tallahassee is located in front of a circuit court judge there. And, the, and these 27 families said, basically the executive order that, that uh, DeSantis has passed to ban masks is unconstitutional and illegal and shouldn't be allowed. Of course, the state and DeSantis and the attorney general for the state ran into Leon County Court and said, motion to dismiss, dismiss this case for two reasons. One, substantively, the governor has the right to do these things and there shouldn't be a lawsuit over it. And secondly, standing. And you and I have talked a lot about standing over what's now 18 or 19 episodes, which is these particular plaintiffs don't have the right to seek redress for their injury in a courtroom they're going to lose on the standing argument. I think the judge has already found that these 27 families are proper parties to bring this issue into a courtroom. And the judge has just ruled this week that he denied the motion to dismiss. He said that the families and ultimately the policy needs to be addressed in a court of law with a full record, with evidence, with testimony, which is going to happen next week. Um, uh, He gave them a week. We're on a temporary injunction fast track in Leon County. But but the good news is the judge found that he's not going to dismiss the suit and he's going to have a full basically mini trial with evidence and testimony uh, in the next week or two that you and I will be able to update.
0: The issue of standing, which we've talked about uh, on prior episodes, which is to avail yourself of our court system, you had to suffer some sort of cognizable, some sort of recognizable injury that is recognized in law. And so what the DeSantis uh, attorneys argued were these families who were bringing this case against our ban on mask mandates, these families did not suffer any injury. And the family said, yeah, we did. You are sending our kids to die. That is our injury. And so that's how they got over standing. And you, you reflect on the issue of standing where courts had found that certain entities did not have standing. You know, there were a lot of these Trump frivolous lawsuits where uh, congressional leaders and people who were Trump accolades who had no connection to the uh, allegations in the complaint, were filing these spurious lawsuits across the country claiming that they should be a party because no person with integrity was filing the lawsuits. And so a lot of those Trump uh, lawsuits where Trump was trying to illegally overturn the election, where he lost those 75 cases in federal courts, the federal courts say, you're just some random weirdo person bringing this case, you, you don't even have the right to step into this courtroom because you're not the right party. So that's the distinction of standing where you have standing in these cases in Florida because the family have their kids who are going to be injured from covid and the Trump cases where there is no standing, where some random person basically goes into court and says voter fraud. And the court says, who are you? You are I, you? You're a pillow guy. You're, you're a pillow guy. You, you can't and I call court.
1: You and I call that, lawyers like you and I call that, and the courts call that, a drive-by plaintiff. He has no real connection to what's just gone on. He's just driven by and has no real injury that gives him the ability to file the suit. That, that was, I like that. That was a really good explanation of cognizable injury and standing. Quote, I'm
0: directing the Secretary of Education to take additional steps to protect our children, Biden said this week. This includes using all oversight authorities and legal action, if appropriate, against governors who are trying to block and intimidate local schools, officials, and educators that came from President Biden this week to his education secretary, our education secretary, Miguel Cardona. And Miguel Cardona, education secretary, also stated that he would be looking into working with the civil rights division as well within the Department of Justice if these governors are discriminating against families who want to keep their children healthy. Um, So it is an interesting use of but appropriate use of civil rights that you have governors who are discriminating against the health practices of the American population. We will keep you updated and I think that there will be a lot of litigation there. Stay tuned for lawsuits. These are This is a Mycelos prediction. We will see some Biden lawsuits in the next week or two weeks um, from Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, from the Civil Rights Division within the Department of Justice against a lot of these GQP governor bans on mask mandates. Updates, updates. We've got updates on Legal AF. That song gets cringier with age, but no worries. What gets cringier with age are the cyber ninjas, this crazy group that hails from Popok State of Florida who had no background whatsoever in election audits. They were brought in by the Arizona legislature to conduct a fraud, it a complete sham audit where they literally like broke election machines and used the wrong tools and then hid the data in like a undisclosed location in Montana, a complete and utter shit show, embarrassing and disgracing. The Arizona GQP, just all election integrity, the Arizona Board of Elections had to order new machines for millions and millions of dollars because these cyber ninjas like literally destroyed the integrity of the underlying machine.
1: The Department of Justice has warned other states that they're not going to allow that kind of audit in the future without federal government civil rights supervision
0: it is one of the most outrageous things. And then you look at the GQP governors across the country. Mm -hmm. The DOJ has to say that, Popak, because these other GQP uh, leaders who want to spread COVID, they also want the cyber ninjas in their states to fuck it up there. That's what I mean. This is what they want. They really want to destroy the United States of America. Anyway, the Court of Appeals State Court of Appeals in Arizona ordered the Cyber Ninjas, even though the Cyber Ninjas are a private company, because they were hired under a contract by the legislature, they are now an arm of the state based on this ruling and based on common sense, and they can't shield their records from public records requests, and they have to turn over their emails their data, you know, all of their information because they were hired by the government to do this. Of course, this triggered the uh, Senate um, who was one of the responsible parties for bringing these Arizona cyber ninjas in We are outraged by this ruling. We want them to keep their data private. Like these are the most disgusting people in the world, Popak. When they lose these rulings and they appeal, what they're fighting for is to keep the cyber ninja data private for what purpose other than because, you know, you've just aided and abetted a fraud and want to cover it up
1: there. there we're opening a chapter of uh, Legal AF Law School public. We're going to make public records law fun with an explanation. The the basis of public records law, whether it's the Freedom of Information Act, which referred to as FOIA on the federal side, or every state has on its books a requirement that government be conducted in what Florida calls in the sunshine, meaning the old phrase of sunshine is the best antiseptic. You want to bring into the public proceedings, rulemaking, decision-making, and public records so that the public and watchdogs like the American Oversight Group, that was the plaintiff in this case, which is a nonpartisan, watchdog who uses public records in litigation, in order to expose frauds like this. You need public records in order for people to exercise their rights and to supervise these types of events. Bad people, like the Republican controlled Arizona Senate, they don't want these records to see the light of day because they're doing underhanded things. Um, And so the tussle that happened here is what, besides the government itself, are there entities that were private entities like cyber ninjas? They're not a government entity per se, but but because of how they are brought in to do a government function, are they subject to the public records law just like they were a part of the government? And this judge about the Maricopa County audit said they are that cyber ninjas are basically doing a, they were hired to do a government function which is audit there's no such thing as a private audit of election and voting in a state and therefore they're subject to the public records law the sunshine law if you will just like any other government official and so this the the, the senate in Arizona lost that this is going to be appealed does it go? Does that go to the u s. Supreme Court? I don't think so. I think it'll rise and fall in Arizona. But we'll see,
0: I can't wait to read these psychopathic emails when they talk about their bamboo and their Hugo Chavez Venezuelan theories. We are going to, I mean, we've already seen how psycho these people are, but I have a feeling that it is just, the tip of the iceberg. Updates, we've got more updates. Biden eviction ban is heading to the Supreme Court. For all of those Midas Touch legal AF listeners, you'll recall from past podcasts, we've been been following The stages of this eviction bans. There have been certain chapters of the national realtors who are saying, we want to evict people right now. Um, This eviction ban shouldn't hold. The CDC does not have the authority. Uh, The Supreme Court previously ruled that, hey, the only way that the CDC can You know, we we'd allow as a judge, uh, Kavanaugh, who actually saved the initial ban because it was set to expire last August. Biden then rejuvenated it based on the the new facts, the fact that there's a killer Delta variant that's out there. or this past august that biden rejuvenated uh the uh, the 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 provisions from the cdc that allow this eviction ban we talked in the last podcast about the district court judge who upheld the ban uh, but noted that based on what the supreme court previously had said that the view was that i don't think this is going to hold Um, It's interesting. This was a three-person panel after the district court judge ruled last week, Popak. Um, It was a 3-0 decision in this panel um, at the D.C. Circuit Court. And one of those was a Trump appointee, which I found interesting that it wasn't two to one because of the facts in the Delta variant. And what do you think is going to happen here, Popak, now that it heads to the Supreme Court because... You would think based on the prior ruling that the Supreme Court will strike down the eviction ban, but also the Delta variants, the real deal. And the Supreme Court does balance some practical considerations sometimes like, hey, if we strike this down, people may die because they're going to be evicted and homeless.
1: Yeah. So so Justice Roberts, we read. On the last day or so, has has now ordered that the case is going to be at the Supreme Court, and has ordered that the government have until I think tomorrow to fully brief the issue because this is on a really fast track. And now the Biden administration is going to have a uh, you know a, a tough road to hoe here, a heavy lift to prove to this ultra conservative bent, ultra right wing bent Supreme Court with Alito. Thomas, Coney Barrett, Gorsuch, we'll put Kavanaugh in a separate position for a moment to convince them that this is different, this policy because of Delta is different than the one that those at least four of them already said that they hated and found unconstitutional. Kavanaugh looks like to be the swing vote because of his his concurrence, which allowed the prior ban to stand for a short period of time. But I'm not sure with the record that's now been developed it's going to be enough for, for the Biden administration to overcome the strong you know, right wing pull of the court on this issue, given the tea leaves from the last case. So if I was and it's really hard here because these things are moving quickly, the, the acting solicitor general, which will be the person that the Biden administration will use to argue the matter, file the brief, he doesn't have a lot of time to even collect Friends of the brief, friends of the court briefs, amicus curiae briefs. It's just going to be sort of their office generating the papers, and then they're going to they're going to see what what happens with the court on oral argument. I think they get oral argument on this. If I were a betting man, I think it's going to get struck. I think it's going to get stricken. I think this Supreme Court is just waiting. At least four of them just waiting. And I think I don't think Roberts gets pulled over, but I think Kavanaugh does at the end. I think this is this eviction ban is going to go by the wayside.
0: Popak, what the people want to know, though, is the following: Are you a betting man? I am. <laughs> Popak, yeah. a Popakian what? betting man, yeah. antiquer, vacationer, extra- All of it. extraordinary. I, I want to
1: make. I want to make something. I want to make one point clear because you know we do read our our Twitter followers, and there is one messaging. I want, and I'm I'm a moderate Democrat, but I, I want to get one piece of messaging out here. I'm, I personally am in favor of the eviction ban. However, people should know that the underlying debt of the tenant that he owes to the landlord for the rent is not being wiped out by the federal government. Let's put a pin in that for a minute. The Biden administration is about to wipe out uh, student loan debt for permanently disabled who can't work. It's in the billions of dollars. Should the federal government help landlords Some of them are not big mega companies that own apartment buildings. Some of them are regular people that own two and three units or a multifamily house, like one extra unit. And they've counted on that money in order to make their mortgage payment. When they bought the house, it was calculated in and they need relief too. So I I don't wanna make it sound like, I don't want evictions but the underlying debt that's accumulating that has not been addressed, either has to be addressed by banks giving the landlord's relief or the federal government giving the banks and or the landlord relief so that the tenant can ultimately stay beyond the date of the eviction ban and not face a personal judgment for tens of thousands of dollars for accumulated rent.
0: I think that's a great point, Popak. And a lot of these issues, it's easy to uh, encapsulate in a soundbite a partisan uh, talking point. Um, but when you also break it down as well, you are right. You know, we there is also the small landlord who employs five people and maybe had to let go two or three of them or, or, or all of them because their business can't function because they're not collecting rents. and there is a domino effect as well. Um, you know, there also are, though, Um, more exploitive uh, landlord situations, though, that become the poster child for them wanting to evict people who shouldn't be evicted during this time period, um, you know, because of the horrible pandemic situation. So it is it is definitely nuanced, but also the Biden initiatives, um, you know, I hope are holistically addressing these economic these economic issues, but Popak, the GQP wants to bring us into perilous economic conditions such that the billionaires can get away with highway robbery while everybody else, the the remaining 99% oftentimes will, you know, will suffer. That is their modus operandi. So we've talked about The Trump crackhead crew at the beginning of the podcast. We then talked about the GQP crackhead governors and their attempts to ban common sense mask mask mandates. I've hit you with the updates, and now I want to talk about uh, immigration cases that have been in the news recently. Popak, the first I want to talk about is the felony deportation law being deemed unconstitutional by a district court in Nevada the felony deportation law in short popoc if you were deported and you come back it's a felony right. um is it we can break it down a little more complicated than that but that is well
1: well, well here's how the did lead you break in. it down more complicated? Yeah, here's the lead in it's it's 1326 Section 1326 of the Immigration and Nationality Act. But Ben, do you know what that act historically, colloquially has been called, even by the people that passed the legislation?
0: I think it's something like the Undesirable Aliens Act.
1: No, it's worse. Um, It's the Wetback Act. And that was a fact in the legislative history that the judge here, Judge Miranda Du, D-U, out of Nevada, a federal judge, whose own personal background is quite interesting. She is Vietnamese American. Uh, actually, I think she immigrated from Vietnam when she was a child, and she was appointed by Obama. So she has a special sensitivity to immigration policy um, as a as a, a person of Vietnamese descent. And she she basically no not basically she declared. Section 1326, which to all of our listeners and you and I who don't regularly practice immigration law, sounds like this arcane chapter in the statutes. It isn't. In federal court practice and in the federal public defender's practice, 1326 comes up on a regular basis, on a daily basis. It floods the courts with 1326 issues by, by people who were deported or left the country and then came back in and are then charged with a federal crime. And so this is not a esoteric academic discussion. This has real life consequences about our immigration policy. And Judge Dew declared that it is a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the Fifth Amendment this statute should be removed from the books. It is unconstitutional, and it sets up an it sets up an interesting um, a next step. Will the Biden administration and the Department of Justice, when it makes its way to the Supreme Court or to an appellate court, will it take the position that that, that Miranda due is right that this this should be stripped from the books? I think if the Biden administration had its way, they would. Um, through legislature, remove it from the books. But that's not going to happen because, frankly, the House and the Senate are tied up with a lot of other matters in a very short time until the midterm elections. So he's not going to get around to that. But if here's, here's the question for you, Ben. You're sort of a betting man. This comes up to the U.S. Supreme Court. What is the solicitor general, what is the Department of Justice's position about Judge Dew having declared a law on the book's of the of, of federal statutes is unconstitutional. What do they say?
0: Fun Ben mycelus fact: not a betting man. <laughs> ben Mycelis, <laughs> not a betting man. I maybe have gambled once in my life, and yeah. I abs- and I absolutely when I if I've ever gone to Vegas, never gamble. Um, she well,
1: she sits at this judge is in Nevada, but she's in Reno. She's not in Las Vegas. But let's go. What's your prediction?
0: Um, My prediction, the current solicitor general, the current dynamic, um, we will not see the Biden administration and the current DOJ supporting um, this law. They're not going to be supporting the felony deportation law. You know, and I think their abstention From it though you know this is why elections have consequences are are important though it will be a major election talking point from the gqp when they try to scare people in 2022 um in 2024 and they will use the lack of enforcement there to basically say and and you've seen it already they're soft on criminals right Soft on, yeah, exactly. So, so that's where I think it. I, I think it goes. But um, well, what you know, do you think one,
1: the Ninth Circuit does, Ben? Because it's going to go to the Ninth Circuit, your your home state appellate court, which leans a little more liberal. What do you think the Ninth Circuit does?
0: You know, I, I look. It, it depends on who the panel is going to be. I know that's a cop out, but one of the things we've always told our listeners, though, is that yeah, you know, it is it is impossible sometimes to predict on an issue like this without knowing the composition of the court. If you give me the composition of the court. I think I'll
1: be able to. Well, predict. what if it's the whole thing? What if it's an on en banc entire Ninth circuit? What do you think happens?
0: If it's an en banc entire, I still think that given the way this was worded by this judge, it was like an incredibly written opinion. Yeah. Um, that was well-researched, the judge knew that it was going to be um, heavily scrutinized on appeal, and that's why um, she went through all of these kind of detailed analysis. It would be hard to support the law, give, especially where we are now with its entirely racist roots. I mean, the roots of the law literally, as you, you know what you said, you know, I, I called it the undesirable alien act, which is one of the names that it had, I just don't think you you can uphold a law that yeah just that outwardly uh, discriminates uh, in his legislative system.
1: I agree yeah. with you. I don't think the Wetback Act survives the Ninth Circuit sitting. Where does the Ninth Circuit sit? Does that sit in Sacramento? Where does the Ninth Circuit? San Francisco. I don't think the Wetback Act is going to survive the Ninth Circuit. But we'll, we will post our listeners with updates, updates as they develop.
0: And Popac, we actually have um, the Ninth Circuit as well, right in Pasadena, uh-huh. California. It's an interesting, beautiful uh, building out here. So um, talking about the felony deportation law being deemed unconstitutional. And finally, Popak, just want to talk briefly about the Supreme Court temporarily halting the Trump remain in Mexico program it's very temporary like in a few days tuesday. um by tuesday um but the what the doj went in and said you need to remember there was a what it was a texas district court judge that struck down um biden's non-enforcement of trump's remain in mexico program right. and um Tell us about that, pop yeah, of, of, of that dynamic.
1: Yeah, because I, we, we probably just teased out and whetted the appetite of our listeners with the Remain in Mexico part. So Trump in 2017, as part of his executive orders, passed a rule that if a, if a Mexican national is trying to seek asylum uh, in the United States, he can't cross the border and wait for the asylum process to continue in the safe haven of the United States, which is what a Um, a benevolent uh, immigration policy would do, he has to or she has to remain in Mexico. So it's called the remain in Mexico policy while you seek asylum in the United States. And of course, the people that are seeking asylum are often seeking asylum because of persecution, legitimate fear of death. They've gone up against the drug lord's And the whole family could be killed and now they have to remain in Mexico instead of having at least a temporary safe haven haven while their application is being considered. Sounds like a terrible and not generous, inappropriate immigration policy, and it is. It was challenged by the Department of Justice and other people. But unfortunately, in Texas, which is where it was, of course, filed, in Amarillo Division of the Northern District of Texas Federal Court, they polled federal judge Kazmarek. Why does that matter? Because Kazmarek not only was appointed by Trump, but he was also the deputy general counsel of First Liberty Institute, a supremely conservative religious freedom group. So you know where he was going to vote on this. He voted that the that the um, remain in Mexico policy, which was set by uh, Trump by executive order, not even by legislation of the full Congress, needed to be remain in place. And that Biden couldn't, through a stroke of his pen, as you like to say, Ben, remove it by executive order. Why, I have no idea. But the Department of Justice ran with, with as fast as they could to the Supreme Court and filed just yesterday or on Friday, they filed an emergency application to have the Supreme Court block that decision and allow people to come into the United States while they're, they're, while they're waiting for their asylum application to be ruled on. The Supreme Court Judge Alito, who is, again, we're back to who's the duty judge for each, each of these circuits, and the circuit for Texas <coughs> works its way up to Judge Alito. Judge Alito stayed the order. So that's sort of in favor of Biden, but temporarily until literally two days from now, Tuesday, and he's giving the government time to submit all their papers for this to be heard on a very, very fast track. So but don't take I don't want our listeners to take anything from the fact that Alito was involved. Alito was assigned to that particular. He's the duty judge for that circuit. And that's why he has to make the ultimate decision. Now, he could have made the decision to reject the appeal, to reject the DOJ fast track appeal. Uh, but he didn't. So it's at least a good sign it's going to get a full briefing and a full airing at the Supreme Court. Popak,
0: Popak you are just you nailed it. <laughs> you nail it every time. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, does really anybody in the world nail it the way Popak does? I think not. And as we but said stump, earlier,
1: the Popak, it's like a new uh, segment. And you know
0: where it all works its way up to? The popoc. That was one of my favorite parts of this podcast. We hit it all, popoc. We hit it all. We talked about, again, the Trump crew swirling the drain. We talked about mask law. We gave updates on the Arizona cyber ninjas, the Biden eviction ban. We've talked immigration law. I'm so knowledgeable. I need to get something to eat, popoc. I appreciate your time. We're going um, antiquing. Popak is going antiquing. Popak, it's great to have you back. You uh, any future vacations that we should be aware of while we got you on the record?
1: None of the suits have told me that I am not allowed to take a holiday. But, but Jeff, I wanted to say one thing, because I've seen you even throw shade at me on Twitter when you were off doing whatever with your lovely girlfriend on your holiday. I, apparently, you brought your microphone with you. I want to make this clear. I wanted to do an episode in the can before I left on vacation. And I offered to do one while I was away and you in a very magnanimous way. But now I see I've been set up. You said, no, we'll wait till you get home. When you have stable internet, we don't have to do it like in the, wherever you are. And I said, okay. So, and then you haven't let me forget it. It was a trap. It was a mycelian trap. And you haven't let me forget it ever since.
0: Popak, did you have stable internet when you were traveling Not the really. mountains of Italy? Not okay, really. there you have it, folks. <laughs> Closing argument. I rest my case, and we rest our case on this edition of Midas Touch Legal AF. We are so grateful for all of your support thank you for making midas touch legal af one of the most listened to podcasts the number two most listened to podcast in all of the united states of america last week i'm ben mycelis you got mr Popak himself the Popakian, right there super shout out to the midas mighty closing words Popak.
1: Just, I'm always, I don't care what time of the day it is. I look forward to seeing you on Legal AF.
0: I look forward to seeing you, Popak. We'll see you next time, same place. If it's Sunday, it is Legal AF. Shout out
1: to the Midas Mike.